Welcome back to Elder Sign, a weird fiction podcast by Clay Temple Media. I'm Brandon Buddha. And I'm Glenn McDorman. Today, we're doing an episode on the 1950 short story, Born of Man and Woman by Richard Matheson. This story was commissioned to us by a Patreon supporter, so thanks. I really enjoyed reading this story, and it's awesome to get these commissions from our supporters. It really helps us out with the network, and it introduces us to some awesome stories and writers. I think uh, it would have taken us a lot longer to get to if it were not for our Patreon supporters. Yes, absolutely. I thank you so much for commissioning this. I mean, these commissioned episodes are extra episodes that we do on top of our regularly scheduled content. And so, yeah, it's a huge way where we get to broaden our horizons. And that's what we're doing here as well. I mean, Richard Matheson is just a, a massive name in speculative fiction, especially weird fiction. I think people know him best probably from I Am Legend. That's something that has several film adaptations. I mean, at least one of them is pretty good. But his, <laughs> I, I, I've only seen one of them. That's all. I, I'm not, I don't mean that to be a dig on the other ones. But uh, I have no idea. But yeah, Matheson also was a huge part of The Twilight Zone, also to a, a lesser extent, uh, Star Trek as well. Though Valerie and I actually never have gotten around to doing any of the episodes that he's written on, uh, on Lower Decks. That's something we definitely need to fix. And also, so I have wanted to get him here on Elder Sign for a long time. He is, as we're recording this at least, on the ballot for our next Patreon bonus series too, though uh, by the time I think Elder Sign listeners are hearing this episode, we'll have already had that vote, which means you actually already know if he won or not, I guess, dear listener. But at any rate, the point I'm trying to make is, hey, I'm super glad to have this commission for the chance to finally get someone this important onto the show. This has been a real absence. And this story is intense. Uh, in, in fact, it's probably a good idea here to give a, a content advisory for this story. This is a story about child abuse. Uh, the portrayal of that abuse is disturbing, and it is then also a topic that we are going to take up in the discussion as well. So if that is not for you right now, we will see you next time. But I think at this point, let's just uh, get into it. So Brandon, take us through Born of Man and Woman. Born of Man and Woman is made up of seven short, I don't know, I guess you'd call them like diary or journal entries. And they're all written or expressed to us by someone who is doing the best they can to understand their situation and the world they find themselves in. So for instance, the first one opens up like this. This day when it had light, mother called me wretch. You wretch, she said. I saw in her eyes the anchor. I wonder what it is, a wretch. So that's how the story opens. And the narrator goes on from there to describe watching rain fall from it, which we learn must be the sky, and that they see from some underground perspective where they, I mean, the narrator, I'm going to use they and them for the narrator. It's the only thing I think makes sense to, to use as a pronoun, um, where they are chained up and are allowed to sometimes look out of the basement window to see the sky. And the narrator says that they know their mother is pretty because her face is like the faces in a movie star magazine that the narrator has seen. There's clearly some disparity in the looks between the narrator's mother and the narrator themselves, according to the father. That's more or less the first entry of this story. 
This is a really interesting opening here. I mean, the the writing style, of course, as you've pointed out, Brandon, tells us that something strange, something weird, something unusual is going on right away. But there's also some really interesting touches here, I think, just in the, the, the world building. I mean, in particular, you know, this magazine called Screen Stars here. This, to me, just feels like it's some 1950s softcore porn magazine that's hidden down here in the basement. And you know, we're left wondering, you know, maybe it belongs to the dad. Maybe it's from the previous owners. It's unclear, but it gives this this basement, this this bit of character here. And the basement is really where this story is going to take place. And uh, also then this detail about this person not understanding what rain is, right? That's that's a tough concept to sell, to sell the concept that someone doesn't understand what rain is. But I think Matheson really nails it here while keeping the story readable, uh, accessible, right? Where the, the writing, uh, though it is in this strange mode, doesn't get in the way of our, our buy-in to the world here. And it, it's awesome. Right. Matheson is able to let us know that the narrator has nobody really communicating with them about what the world is. And that that's a given right off the bat. They can read maybe, uh, they can write, but they don't know any simple concepts like rain, even though, yeah, I think the dad is throwing his dirty magazines into the basement to hide them. Um, and, and that's kind of what this narrator is left with. In the second entry, here, the narrator tells us how his family goes to church. So they're good church-going folk. And while the family's away, the narrator is able to look out the window a little more than usual, I guess. Maybe the narrator has a sister too. The narrator might also have a different physiology than normal people, like they can't walk on stairs. Something about their feet sticks to wood. We just get some strange information there. Uh, But in any event, the narrator's family is back from church. They're having a party or something upstairs, and the narrator wants to check it out. And so they make their way upstairs to hear laughter, and they see beautiful white colors. And the narrator's mother comes through the door, and it hits them with the door by, by accident. Like She pushes the door open, and it bumps into the narrator. And then the mother freaks out because the narrator really isn't supposed to be upstairs. So the mother calls the father and the father hits the narrator and draws some kind of like green substance from it, maybe blood. And then the father ties up the narrator's arms and legs and puts them back on their bed in the basement. And then the narrator thinks about something that the father said about the narrator being only eight well, the narrator is looking at a spider. And, and so this is very strange. So this either means that the narrator has eight limbs or that this narrator is only eight years old and will have lots of growing up to do before it becomes truly monstrous. Yeah, I, I took this to mean the, the age there. That was definitely how I uh, in- interpreted that. And so, you know, this is the moment then where we realized that we are dealing with uh, a, a, a child here, right? This is sort of where we realized that, you know, it's it's an eight-year-old kid. And that gives us, uh, you know, an image to have in our mind about this narrator. But obviously, yeah, something something weird is going on. I mean, we know that the the narrator is living in the basement. And now, of course, also we know being chained up. And certainly all of that is its own kind of horror. But there does seem to be something physiologically 
unusual about this child as well. We get this bit here with uh, walking up the stairs where the, the feet actually stick to the stairs. So something is wrong there. And then this green liquid. I, I thought, like you, Brandon, that probably that's blood from, from being hit by his father, but I, I suppose it may not be. And uh, we aren't going to get ever any real explanation of what is going on with the narrator's body here. So these details, we'll, we'll try to tease them out in the discussion. But certainly, this this entry is just utterly unsettling here in the, the violence that uh, this kid's parents meet out on them. It really is. And it's not going to get better for our narrator. Maybe not for us as readers either. The narrator is sort of being continually punished and rather severely punished for coming upstairs. This is what the next entry is about. Uh, The narrator tells us that their chain is tighter than usual. The father is hitting them a lot more. But eventually the narrator gets the chain out from the wall enough so that they can look out the window again. And the narrator sees all the little boys and girls playing. He calls them mothers and fathers. And one of the children playing near the basement window sees the narrator. And word gets around that the kid saw something weird in the basement. And eventually word gets back to the narrator's mother. She discovers that the narrator's been seen. And so the narrator gets beaten badly again, this time with a stick. And at this point, the narrator describes to us that the mother may have had some feelings of like guilt, though really it seems like what she feels is self-pity. Whatever the case is, she says to the narrator, why have you done this to me? And runs back upstairs. We get to see the two parents, each each of the two parents, the mother and the father here, through the lens of these very short scenes when they are in the basement dealing with this kid in some way, interacting with this kid in some way. It's always something disciplinary. I mean, punitive really is what we mean, but some kind of conversation, uh, threatening beatings, chaining him up. And we really only get to know about these characters through the ways that they are are interacting with this child. And that also is something that we're definitely going to take up in the discussion. But uh, another note to just make here, just something to keep in mind about keeping track of what's going on with this child's body is that this kid is extremely strong, but also clearly feels pain when beaten. Right. The parents are afraid of the child, but they're still trying to parent this child through abusive tactics. And it's it's really horrible uh, to read because this kid is regardless of any physical, physiological monstrosities they have, uh, they're going through something really rough and no one seems to care because of the way they look. And maybe they bleed like ichor or something like that. But um, yeah, whatever it is, the situation's not right. Well, we only have two entries left now. And in the next one, the narrator tells of a time that his sister brought a cat downstairs and the cat really hates the narrator, like instinctively, with, with intuition. And it bites the narrator. And so the narrator hurts the cat. But really what happens is the narrator like tears the cat apart, which causes the sister to scream. And it's unclear whether or not the sister knew she had a sibling living in the basement. 
But eventually the narrator's mother comes down and the narrator hides because it doesn't want to get beat. And then they tell us that they hide the dead cat under their pillow. Yeah, this business with squishing the cat is, I mean, it's utterly gruesome, right? But what a scene too at the same time, right? You can see the film version of this scene with the the younger sibling coming into the basement with her cat because she's bored and can't go outside. And then the other kid just wants to be left alone and especially just wants to not get in trouble. And so is is hiding, right? And I, I, it is, you could film this with a lot of suspense and a lot of tension, kind of switching from, from point of view there. And it's just this, you know, few sentence uh, journal entry that's just full of all of this kind of visual language here. It's, it's really actually interesting to, you know, think about Matheson as someone who's so present on, on TV and film screens in the 50s and 60s and 70s, because you can see that in even just the way that he's writing, even just this, this first story of his that was ever published. That's a really excellent point. It definitely has a a visual flair. And Matheson is able to suggest these different points of view, even though we are locked into one person's subjective consciousness, basically. This, This person who's eight years old or so doesn't have a grasp of simple concepts, but is being abused in the basement. It really is an excellent technique that Matheson is is demonstrating here. All right, we're at the last entry now, and um, we learn that the narrator is in pain because they've been beaten once again by the father, and they've been chained up very tightly. But this time, when the father was beating the narrator, the narrator was able to grab the stick from the father and make a noise, and this caused the father to run away in fear. But now the narrator is locked alone in the basement and they're chained up and they're angry at mother and father. They say that, quote, they'll do what they did once. They'll hang head down by all their legs and laugh and drip green all over until they, that's the parents, are sorry they didn't be nice to me. If they try to beat the narrator again, we're told, they'll hurt them. And that's the end of the story. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a chilling end to the story. So uh, there are two ways, Brandon, that I want to approach this story. And obviously, one of them has to be to think about this story as some kind of uh, social commentary here. But I really want to start actually by taking the story literally rather than metaphorically uh, to ask, uh, you know, I want to ask questions about the metaphysics of the monster in this story before we confront the real ugliness that Matheson is is actually writing about here, right? Because this is a story that's about the metaphor. But let's make that the second topic here. And so treating it as a monster story first, right? The essence of this story is that there is a normal middle-class American family in the early years of the post-war economic boom, and they've got a kid who is monstrous. So let's start by exploring, I think, even just the the nature of this kid. Really what I mean is the the way in which this kid is monstrous. And so, you know, just the first question is really just kind of like a a cataloging question, Brandon, is just what are some of the unusual attributes that this kid has? Well, it drips green. (laughs) That's one thing that it does. (laughs) Uh, It's got maybe more limbs than it should. It sticks to surfaces. And uh, it's very strong for its age, but it can write, I guess. And I don't know. Those are the main ones that jump out to me. Yeah, same here. I, I'm 
unclear about the the writing. That's maybe a question that we should ask uh, as as well. But these attributes, right? I mean, this feels sort of bug-like, right? So is the, is this a bug kid of some sort? I, I thought arachnid, an arach kid, maybe. Uh, he's uh, the child is eight limbed in my mind. I think that eight is kind of work does double duty in this story, and I think it's it's more like a spider than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly the the sticking, right? I mean, of course, all insects have some kind of uh, of sticking thing, and and so do spiders, of course. But I mean, yeah, you just get the sense that uh, it, it's Jeff Goldblum, H H eight, right? <laughs> but but Matheson never spells that out for us. So this is this is not, uh, you know, this is not the metamorphosis. This is not you know Kafka. It's not the fly, right? It's not you know a story about what it would be like to be for some reason, some kind of bug person. But certainly those are the types of images that that we're, we're getting here. And I, I find that really interesting that Matheson uses that, shows us that just enough that we have that impression in our mind. And it's an impression that, of course, is quite unsettling, but doesn't make the story about that at all. It's a really excellent choice. I don't think the story would be so good if it was about uh, how this bug person came to be, why they're in the basement. I mean, we can guess why they're in the basement if they're a bug person, but we don't know why it draws so much resentment from the parents because you're right to point out that this is a story about the metaphor. It's a story in a sense about the parents' resentment of this child uh, and their abnormalities more than it is about the reasons why this child is abnormal. Right. But I want to keep thinking about why this child is abnormal here, because you know, the title of the story is Born of Man and Woman. But I wonder if this kid was actually born this way or if this condition developed later. Do you have any sense of that? I think they were born this way. Uh, that That's certainly the sense I get. And it's hard for me to imagine where Matheson is really getting his cues from here to have this sort of insect child this unprecedented being sort of come into existence and, and be forced into the basement. I mean, certainly you're after, you know, the atomic bombs have dropped. You're dealing with all these monster movies coming out of uh, Japan. And, and maybe Matheson is drawing on that sort of mindset of some sort of accident with radiation that caused something like this to, to happen with this child. Oh yeah, that's a real interesting idea. I, I I had been wondering. I mean, you know, certainly I'm curious about what is the mechanism here. What has happened with this child? Though the story is certainly not about that. But I couldn't help but imagine myself in this situation as one of the parents, which I, I suspect happened to you as well, Brandon, since you and I are both only recently, you know, become parents our, ourselves. <laughs> and so it was hard for me not to think about what would it have been like to have brought. Uh, our you know kid home who is maybe some kind of arachnid person or something like that and to look at what choices these parents make look at those choices in horror of course because i had to wonder here you know if this kid was born at a hospital like what what was going on at the hospital or you know maybe it was a home birth it is you know 1950 we're talking about here or really i guess the 1940s is when this kid would have been born but i mean do you even have any sense that the parents have consulted doctors that they've tried to do something about the, their their kid's condition cuz i i have no sense of that from this story 
it, it doesn't feel like that is the case at all. I think you're right. I think we're just meant to immediately buy into the premise and just go with it. There's a, a monster living in the basement. I, I recently watched an episode of the X-Files called uh, The Postmodern Prometheus, which is, uh, I suppose, a classic episode. It's shot in black and white. It's plays with all this Frankenstein stuff, all this monster imagery and allegories and what they mean. And it's the same sort of thing. I mean, there's just a baby who's a monster, uh, who's now a full grown man. And all the truth about it is coming out because it's, uh, propagating itself when it really just wants to go to a share concert. So it's a great (laughs) episode of TV, but it's, it's that, it's that premise that we're asked to buy in where like, the hints and the whispers of the this thing's existence are there, but its whole existence has been hidden, basically, somehow. And there's all these people complicit in that. But we don't even get the sense that there's anyone else involved. It's just for somehow these parents in this story have totally hidden this this child's existence from others. Well, and that's the real question that I, I want to get here to, to transition into thinking about this story for what it actually is, right? Which is a, a kind of a social commentary here. Because I also was trying to envision, yeah, you've, you've had a kid with some kind of abnormality here, some, something that clearly is some kind of medical condition. Have you consulted doctors? You know, have Was the child born in a hospital? Those questions really suggested themselves to me, just putting myself, inserting myself into this as an experience. But then also there's the question of, why are the parents keeping the kid in the basement? I get the sense that it had done something so horrifying that they had that they felt their only recourse, the parents felt their only recourse was to put the child in the basement. And that's what the end of the story is, is I'll do what I did again. And maybe the parents tried for a while to treat this child like it was normal to try to train it, you know, not to be violent, to not bite other people or like whatever it was doing, um, not hang upside down and drip green all over. Um, but that became too difficult. And so they just gave up trying to socialize the child, trying to parent it and just decided the stick is the only way to go and locked it in the basement. That that's not to say that it's the child's fault that it's being abused, but it is to say, in the logic of the story, that's what I think is happening. No, I I, I think that's right as well. And you know, certainly as you're reading the story, you know, until you get that line, which we do only get on the the last page, you know, I just had this sense that the the hiding of the kid in the basement, or I should say, the keeping of the kid, the chaining up of this kid in the basement, was purely about hiding the kid. And I will say, I think it is still quite a bit about hiding the kid. But then we do have this sense that that they're afraid of this kid and that that is a big part of why they're they're keeping this kid chained up. I think perhaps this has something to do as well with that, the, the fact that they have had another child in the meantime. And so I'd like to envision that these parents did bring their kid home and try to be a good parent to their kid. But wow, things have gone very wrong here. Things have gone very wrong here. Right. And it's not even clear if their daughter knows about this other child in the basement. You know, if she's just trolled to stay out of the basement. I mean, there's a great horror story. You suggested earlier kind of the switching of the point of view, but there's a great horror story to be told from the sister's point of view, who's always told to stay out of the basement and then discovers why, you know, 
Oh, no. And I think that that's exactly right. I don't think that she has any idea what's going on here. She's told to stay out of the basement. This this scene where she does come down to the basement, it's clear that you know she knows that this is a kind of transgression. But of course, who, who can think that there's literally uh, a dangerous monster in your basement? I mean, maybe we all think there are monsters in our basements <laughs> when we're kids, but also know there really aren't on, on some level here. And so, yeah, she's gone down in the basement without, I think, knowing that she has a sibling down here. And I certainly would like to know more about her, right? Know more about her experience after her cat is squished. How do the parents handle that? You know, we don't ever, we don't ever get that. I mean, we see what the parents do to their, their kid who's in the basement, but we don't know how they're dealing with the, the trauma that is happening, you know, with their youngest child at all here. So the real elephant in the room here though, Brandon, is what is this story really doing what's the 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 metaphor in what way is this story commenting on something that is happening in society or something that matters to the society here in America in the 1950s uh well right so this is clearly a story about child abuse told from the point of view of the child who's both being neglected and physically abused and the types of psychological realities that a child uh, adapts as a result of that situation, thinking there's something wrong with them, that they're at fault for it, that they're a monster to draw this behavior out of other people, to cause it even, um, the anger that they feel, the attempt to fight back, the desire for revenge, the feelings of the parents' resentment kind of reflected back on them. All of that is really what this story is about, uh, neglect and abuse from the, and physical abuse from the point of view of the abuse victim. And certainly this is an era uh, when disciplining children was, uh, you know, people use the phrase, if you spare the rod, you're going to spoil the child. And this is a story that Matheson is writing uh, as a fairly young person. I believe he wrote this story actually as a, a teenager or perhaps around the age of 20. And then it was his first story that was published. So one wonders how, how much his childhood resembled this in, in some way or another and how much of, of that he's, he's working through here. There is too, I think, an element of this story that is picking up something else that's going on in the, the early part of the 20th century and the middle part of the 20th century as well uh, about children with intellectual disabilities, uh, children who their families feel ashamed of in some way, and so hide them from the the rest of their, their community, keep them maybe not necessarily locked up in basements like this, but keep them in their home, keep them isolated from the rest of the world, and, and pretend like they don't exist to the rest of the world. And we get that really explicit here in the story when we've got this scene of the family having uh, friends over, seemingly church friends, people who have come over to their house with them following their attendance at church service. And what they don't want, right, the reason that they, the mother and the father both get so upset about the kid having come upstairs is that they do not want their friends to see this kid. Right. And there's real deep dislike of hypocrisy here. <laughs> I think it's very pointed that the Kid doesn't know what rain is, but it knows what it means for its parents to go to church. Uh, and and I think Matheson is really digging into the hypocrisy of that situation where what should be an activity that results in reflection or contemplation, compassion, empathy, uh, desire to really embrace other people is 
simply a screen to hide the abuse and darkness of the parents. And yeah, it's, it's with so little Matheson is able to communicate so much with the, the child in the basement's sentiments about the parents going to church, their interest in community and the way they are brutally beaten for showing any interest in community at all. Well, yeah. I mean, this, this kid clearly is starved for, society for community for other people i mean we see we see them looking longingly out the window as these other kids are are playing wanting to uh, knowing he can't knowing they can't go out and play with the other kids but still this kid wants to just watch the other kids play and is getting something out of that here's the noises upstairs of of there being extra people in the in, in the house there being guests visitors in the house and knowing that going upstairs is not going to end well, that they're not allowed up there, but just wants to go see other people. And so does it anyway. And all of that, uh, all of that em- emotion just you know, bounces off the page, jumps off the page here in some brilliant writing by Matheson. And Brandon, you described the, this family as, as hypocritical here in the way that they're educating this kid. But I think also Matheson has this business about going to church here to point out a, another fairly deep hypocrisy of this family, which is that they attend church, but don't seem really to be acting out any of the virtues that are usually recommended at church. Absolutely. And can you also even imagine the situation of having uh, another family over after church and you beat your child in secret and shove them back down the stairs and then come back and have canapes or whatever? You know, just it seems so awful to imagine that that circumstance. No, I mean, for everybody involved, I can't imagine this as as one of the parents. I mean, it just I just couldn't imagine doing something like this to my child and then going about my day, being able to laugh and joke around with friends upstairs from from where I've just brutalized a, a child. I can't conceive of that. I, I placed myself into the the role of this other family that has come over uh, for, you know, after church lunch or something like that, you know, and thinking, uh, you know, what would I have done if I had in been in a home where the, you know we got a glimpse of this child and suddenly realized what was happening here you know what what's my moral or ethical duty in a situation like that i mean i found this story really useful for thinking about the story from all these different perspectives but wow it was a this was a tough this was a tough read this was this was visceral it really was i, I we're we're talking about sort of how much was evoked in us as readers when he read this story. But Matheson does this in four pages. It's it's an astonishingly good story and able to evoke so much in so little space because he's nailed the voice of this narrator. He's got us to buy into the premise of the story right away. And he communicates so much through social norms and their violations. It's It's just a great piece of writing. Oh, oh no, it's absolutely fantastic. I, I want there to be more of this story. I mean, fortunately, there's lots more Matheson that we can right. read, and I hope people will uh, <laughs> uh, will, will start having us read more Matheson than we've done so far. Well, I, I want to take us back out. Uh, I, uh, well, I want to take us back out for the, the last discussion point here, Brandon, take us back out of thinking about this as social commentary, but just to wonder what happens next. I mean, right, there's clearly... Uh, 
clearly this story is operating in many of the same ways that Frankenstein is operating, where the thing that makes Frankenstein's monster a monster is not any of the properties of the monster's body. It's the way that he's excluded from society and community, the way that people treat him as a monster and therefore becomes one. And I wonder if you think that is what's going to happen with this child, or if there's a chance for this child to overcome being treated this way and and find a place in the in the world somehow. I guess what's the sequel to this story is what I'm asking you. Uh, the sequel to this story is the movie Them or something like that, you know, about giant ants. I don't think things are going to go well for this kid. Uh, I, I think in the time that Matheson is writing, he's really thinking about giant insects as something to be feared. I mean, this seems like to be a staple of B-horror movies at this time period. And that he's thinking, you know, if some intelligent insect were to get out, they'd automatically be attacked because that's what we're primed to do as uh, good American citizens, I suppose. And so I think this kid is beginning to assert itself. That's what we see at the end of the story. It's really beginning desire to desire to be outside. It's full of anger. And I think it's, it's just not going to end well. What's your sense of the sequel? Well, I also don't think it's going to end well. I mean, clearly the story ends with this this anger, right? The, the child has this anger and is threatening violence to their their parents and uh, at least seems to be trying to, to scare them as a way of, of protesting this harsh treatment, uh, protesting the being chained up in the basement and uh, just in, imprisoned down there. On the other hand, it's clear that this kid could get out and do this anytime they want. That, that they're not really chained up down there. They, they're pretending to be chained up down there. They, the kid pulls the chain out whenever, right? right, Whenever right. it suits them. And so what we're seeing here in this story, this these seven entries, right? This week, I guess, in this child's life is is this crisis moment, I guess, where the kid is being beaten, or I really, let's put some agency in that sentence and use active voice there, where the parents are beating this kid almost every day for a week. And perhaps that in itself is has actually been unusual, that, that although certainly they have beaten the kid before, we know that it's not an everyday occurrence, but this week it is. And now the kid is, is done with that. But I, I want to have an optimistic reading here. I want to think that the kid is just going to run away and um, I don't know, maybe maybe find other people like them somehow, find some way to have some place in the world. That's the that's the sequel I want. I don't know that that's the sequel that Matheson has in mind, as, as you say, Brandon. Yeah, I think we've read some of those stories where the monster uh, attempts to break away and hide and be good and then is misunderstood at some point and is, and is tracked by a mob. So I think you know it would be very hard for me to imagine uh, how to craft the sequel to this story where uh, the tension of the story, the conflict of the story doesn't end up being the kid is tracked by a mob. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think something we should point out before we close out this episode, Brandon, is that this story shares a lot of DNA with another story that we've done as a as, as a commission, and that was the Karen Russell story, Reeling for the Empire, which also involves bug people, though in this case, it's people who are 
born with the you know, physical appearance of humans and are, are chemically transformed into into bugs. And I think that if we had known this story when we covered that episode, we would have made that a pretty big discussion point, actually. But I think we can do it in reverse here, where that story does have something of a happy ending, right? Where we're rooting for the bug people to overcome their masters, the people who have enslaved and exploited them and 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 to escape. And and they do that, though it doesn't have the happy though it does not have the happy ending of they find some chemical that reverses this process and they all get to go back to their families. But the difference there, right, with that story, where it's able to have something of a happy ending, is that there are multiple people with this affliction. And so they themselves create a community together and what they are looking for is their their freedom above all and are able to do that. But here, the the loneliness is something that I think this kid is never going to be able to defeat. And it also, this story also reminds me of uh, the story that we read, Lucis Naturae, which is also about a character who is uh, a monster and is treated so by their parents. So yeah, I, I don't know if Matheson is, is, is sort of inventing this type of trope here. I doubt it. But um, he's doing a wonderful job of setting the stage for all sorts of other stories that we've read on the on the network. And I hope our listeners will check out those stories as well if they've enjoyed this one. And on that note, that's going to do it for this episode. Once again, I'm Brandon Buddha. And I'm Glenn McDorman. As always, you can find us and our other creative projects at claytemplemedia.com. We want to say thank you one more time to the Patreon supporter who commissioned this episode. As we said, this was a, a tough and visceral and, and, and really, truly horrifying story, but it's a brilliant story as well. And I'm so glad to have had the chance to read it and, and to cover some, some Matheson in general. Yeah, this was an awesome opportunity to really dig into some Matheson. And like you said, Glenn, this story was great, if difficult. So thanks again for our supporter who commissioned this story. And if you would like to commission an episode of your own, you can contact us via email or Twitter or Reddit. Patreon supporters get discounts on commissions, uh, even free episodes at some levels. And Patreon, you know, it has its own messaging system. So that's a place you could get in touch with us to commission an episode as well. And next time, we're going to be back with an episode about something. We actually don't know what that is yet. But of course, you can always help us choose by joining us on Patreon and voting. But until next time, we greet you and say farewell. <laughs>